0: Would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? We'll be continuing with our study in this particular letter that Paul wrote. And it is very interesting how God lines up these texts because it's a really good fit for today when we talk about the light that has come into our world. And the message of this text is really a challenge to let his light shine through each one of us. Listen to what Paul writes here. I'd like to read verses 1 to 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. But rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways, and we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you today and we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the truth that it reveals to us about your son and the way of salvation. And we thank you, Father, that you have caused your light to shine in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to share that light with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a typical question that you might hear asked this time of year. Are you ready for Christmas? And I know that as you, uh, if your life's like our life, you're probably thinking of all the things that you still want to do this week in order to get ready for the weekend. In fact, we have some of those things coming up because our kids are coming home today. That's a pretty exciting thing to have a family gather and we're looking forward to seeing them again and I'm sure many of you have those same kind of plans too. I love this time of year. I love getting together as a family. I love the food that we eat and the things that we enjoy, the music, the decorations, the traditions, the giving of presents and all of those things that are part of it. And I look back, maybe as you do, on special memories in your childhood as well. Or kids today, you're probably making those memories even now. One of the things our family used to do at Christmas time was uh, we would go for a drive at night to see some of the light displays that were set out in different yards or in shops and businesses. And uh, in those days, when I was growing up, it seemed like there were more of them. More people had uh, large lighting displays we had a man in our town who was a carpenter for example and he uh, would cut out snowmen and you know santa and the reindeer and all of that out of plywood and he had painted them decorated them and he had this huge display in his yard of all of those different lights for christmas and uh, there were others like shops and businesses and homes it was very common in those days to see Uh, manger scenes complete with the wise men and the shepherds as well as Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and I loved it I loved seeing the light shine in the darkness and I think for those of us who live in this kind of northern climate where it gets dark pretty early in the evening understand what that is like and how beautiful that can be so often in Scripture, the Bible uses light as a metaphor for God and His presence in our world. You'll see it in the Scriptures, for example, in 1 John 1 5, John said that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. He is light, He is pure, He's holy, He is good. Isaiah wrote about the coming of Christ into our world that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He's talking about our world and how Jesus would enter into it and he would be that light in a dark world. And the Apostle John said of Jesus in his gospel that in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. They still don't understand it. There are people all around us who walk in darkness who still don't understand the message and the meaning of Christmas. And that's because it takes an act of God to open our eyes to see the truth of the gospel. It is a miracle whenever it occurs. It's the miracle of rebirth or regeneration when people's eyes are opened and they see the light of the glory of Christ. That's why Paul writes in this passage that the same God who said, let light shine into darkness in the act of creation in Genesis 1, is the same God who made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's not a matter of intelligence It's not a matter of, you know, is one person smarter than somebody else to figure this out and see it? It's not that at all. It is an act of God and His mercy when He opens our eyes to see who His Son really is. And we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now let that light shine through you. Let His light be seen in your life so that others might come to know Him too. That is the privilege and that's the responsibility of every believer. To be a witness for Christ by how we live and by the words that we speak. So how do we do that well? Well, Paul writes about that in this passage. We're just going to look at part of it today in verses 1 to 6, but it's all the way through this passage of how we are to live for Christ in a dark world. Number one, he tells us that we are to speak the truth plainly we speak the truth plainly. In chapter 4, Paul continues his defense of his apostleship. There were some who challenged that or who didn't think he was really the best witness for Christ or that he really had it all together. They challenged him and he begins by saying that the only reason that I have this ministry is because of God's mercy And he includes us in that too. When he writes, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Ministry is a privilege. It is all of grace. It's all of God's grace. And if you think about Paul's life, God took a blasphemous, insolent, violent man and he made him an apostle of grace to the Gentiles. I mean, think about that. He took this man who was a violent persecutor of the church, went around arresting these Christians because he thought this was some kind of heresy, some cult that they had believed in Jesus. He didn't understand who Jesus was. And it wasn't until God, in His mercy, stopped him in his tracks on the road to Damascus and opened his eyes to see who Jesus really is. Paul said, the only reason I'm in this position at all is because of God's mercy. And therefore, we do not lose heart. We are very bold. He will tell us that ministry is difficult. There are many things that can discourage us. The sin we see that is so pervasive in our world and the sin we struggle with in our own life. The trials of life. Ministry has challenges. You know, you can... Pour your heart into it and people still don't get it. You can share Christ and they still don't see Him. Or you can work with people who you think are taking steps forward and then they may fall away. They may turn away from it and it breaks your heart. There are struggles and challenges. You come alongside of people in their suffering, their illness, their loss. There are challenges with funding of ministries, with all kinds of needs that there are, more needs then there seemed to be resources to meet them at times. And yet Paul will add to all of those things the struggles he felt from persecution and hardships and sleepless nights and going without food. He suffered greatly. You see, discouragement is one of Satan's primary weapons. He will try to use discouragement to get people to lose heart, to give up, or to begin to doubt, or to lose hope. And how did Paul deal with the discouragement that Satan would try to throw at him? Well, he remembered God's grace in his own life, his mercy, and how he had changed his heart, changed the whole direction of his life. And he rejoiced in the good things that God was doing in the lives of others, those new believers, or those churches. When he heard the reports of what was happening and how they were growing, he rejoiced in that. And he had learned to rely upon Christ and upon His Word. That's where his confidence was. And he would say, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And Paul will write that in this ministry there are certain things that we do not do. There are certain things that we will not do. We don't use secret and shameful ways to get people to believe. We don't try to trick them into becoming a Christian or into believing the gospel. We don't use deception. That word in Greek is interesting. It means a deception is a readiness to do anything. Kind of like a person who's ready to do anything to close the deal on a sale. I had one of those persons on the phone the other day that was trying to sell me something, wanted me to take this step, and I kept saying, No. No, <laughs> no. And they just wouldn't take no for an answer until finally I just had to end the conversation as politely as I could. But there are people like that. And what he's saying, even in ministry, there were those false apostles that were going around trying to get people to believe in a watered down, compromised gospel. Paul says, We don't do that, we don't use deception. And we don't distort the Word of God. We don't tamper with it. We don't dilute it. We don't change the gospel to make it more palatable. We don't distort the Word of God. We speak the truth plainly. You know, he goes on and he emphasizes what that means. What does it mean to speak the truth plainly? It's to share the simple message of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That's 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance what was given to me. Christ died for our sins and He rose again on our behalf. It's John 3.16. It's telling that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His one and only Son to die for us, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the Romans Road. It's declaring very simply that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we will turn to him, if we will place our faith in him, we can be saved. It's not flashy doesn't need to be it's not something that is trying to you know draw people in by entertainment or by other means to get them to believe it is the simple truth of the gospel that people need to hear and you know what every one of us can share that message i love john piper's illustration that i heard a number of years ago where he talked about how many of us have nightlights in our home. And we usually put a nightlight out, like especially uh, you know, if you have uh, guests that are staying there and you don't want them to stumble in the dark. And you might put that in a hallway or a bathroom or some way so people can find their way easily in the dark. And a, a nightlight, I mean, that's what's that? A little two-watt bulb, you know? I mean, it's really not much at all, but it's amazing how effective that can be at night just to show you your way and keep you from stumbling. John Piper would say, I can do that. I can be that little two-watt bulb that maybe can keep somebody else from stumbling. When we share the good news of the gospel, we share the simple message of why Christ came. God can use us to be that kind of light to keep someone from stumbling. And perhaps God in His grace will open their eyes to see and they will come to know Jesus in all of His glory. We can do that. We speak the truth plainly. We also speak with sincerity, with honesty, with truthfulness. And we can do that when we share our testimony. I mean, it's as simple as just being real about who you are and what God has done for you. Tell the story of how Jesus changed your life. Tell the story of how you came to understand the good news and what He has done. Be real. Be authentic. Don't try to be somebody that you are not, but let his light shine through you. And then be aware that we speak the truth in the sight of God. Paul says that here, that we uh, set forth the truth plainly and we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul was so aware that everything he did was in full view of God and that he is the one that one day we will answer to for our actions. His motivation was to please the Lord in all things, to be honoring to him and faithful to the responsibility he has been given. Secondly, if we are going to be effective messengers in ministry, we need to understand the battle that we are in. We see that in verses 3 and 4. We are in a battle for the hearts and souls of men. He tells us in verse 3 that if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, because the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are in this battle for the hearts and souls of men. It's a battle that has eternal consequences because everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. Either in this new earth that God is creating for us and we will be there with Jesus or we will spend eternity separated from Christ in hell in eternal punishment. Those are the two choices and it's all based upon what we believe about Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Savior of the world. And Paul writes that if our gospel is veiled, that doesn't mean that there is something wrong with the message. You know, if we share that and people don't get it or they still don't see it, it doesn't mean that there is anything at all wrong with the message. Sometimes people need to hear it multiple times. On average, probably seven times people need to hear it before it begins to make sense. And some, many more than that. And it's always one of those mysteries of of when it's going to break in. And we pray and pray and we share the good news and we call people to put their trust in Christ. But again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see that truth. And we have an enemy who works to keep people in darkness. That's what Paul is saying here that Satan is called the, quote, God of this world. He's not really a God. He is not divine. He is a creature. He is a fallen angel who once was created and was in the very presence of our Lord, created in glory, but rebelled because he wanted to make himself like God. And he was cast out of heaven. And he wants to take as many people with him as he can. And what Satan does is he entices people to embrace and exalt evil rather than God. He wants to turn everything around. He wants to call good evil and evil good. He wants people to think that, you know, Christianity, that's the problem in this world. You know, if we just had less religion, we'd have a better world. And he uses these kind of lies that twist things around and say, you know, you deserve it. Go for all the pleasure you can get. You only have one life, so just make the most of it. And it doesn't matter what you do. It's all about you and your needs and your pleasures, your desires. You can be God. You can be your own God. And they are lies. And the chief object of his uh, schemes is our mind. He appeals to the mind, and Jesus said about him, he is a liar, he is the father of lies, he's been that way from the very beginning. Don't buy the lies of the enemy. How do we fight him? Well, Scripture has given all of the resources that we need. Scripture tells us to put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, in Ephesians 6. And so we put on, when we come to know Christ, this breastplate of righteousness, this helmet of salvation. We gird our loins with the truth of God's Word. Our feet are ready to share the gospel of peace. We take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in our hand, and we speak the truth of Scripture. We stand ready for the battle that we are in. And we understand that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And in Ephesians 6.18, Paul exhorts us to pray we pray at all times on all occasions we pray in the spirit and we trust the holy spirit to guide us even in those prayers because sometimes we don't know exactly what we should pray for and so we just surrender the need to the lord and say god would you accomplish your perfect will in this situation would you be glorified in the life of and we pray for friends brothers and sisters in christ those that are going through trials. And thirdly, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Those thoughts of the world or the philosophy of the world or the lies of the enemy, we take those captive and we bring them to Christ and to the truth of His Word. God has given us everything that we need for this battle. Now, there are many reasons why... Someone may not believe. Someone may refuse to believe the good news of the gospel. One of the reasons is just simple ignorance. They've never heard it told before. Clearly, plainly, in a way that could be understood. Romans 10.14 says, You know, how are they going to hear unless someone tells them? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Sometimes people just haven't heard about Jesus and they need to hear about Him. But another reason why sometimes people refuse to believe is the offense of the cross. Paul preached Christ crucified and he said it is a stumbling block to Jews and it is foolishness to Gentiles. To the Jews they didn't understand because the scripture said cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. How can the Messiah die by crucifixion? It made no sense that God's Son would take upon Himself our sins and die in our place. And He became that curse for us. To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. What are you talking about? A Savior who would die? A King that would be born in a manger? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But to those who believe... It is the power of God for salvation. Amen? To those who understand, whose eyes have been opened to see what God did in this amazing story of what He did of sending His Son to earth, so humble, so meek, coming as a tiny baby that would need to be loved and cared for and nurtured, God took this great risk, you might say. But he did it to show us what he is like to enter into our world and to identify with us so that we might have a savior that understands our weakness and our needs for he became just like us except without sin. Paul's suffering was an offense to the Corinthians. The whole problem of suffering is the reason why people sometimes refuse to believe. They don't get Why is this world? Why does it have suffering and evil? And they don't understand the connection with man's sin. In the Corinthians, when they looked at Paul, they didn't want a suffering apostle any more than they wanted a suffering Savior, many of them. I mean, they didn't want a Savior who would call us to take up our cross and follow Him and join in that. Instead, they wanted someone that would promise better things, health, wealth, comfort in this life, here and now. Give me something that's going to get me through in that way. Sin, pride, unbelief, immorality, all can be barriers to our coming to Christ because people don't want to surrender those. They don't want to give those things up and confess it as sin to God. And behind it all is Satan, and he will use any means he can to keep people in darkness. So what do we do? We pray and we ask God to open the eyes of those who do not see. We ask that God's light might shine in their hearts so that they would come to see and understand who Christ really is and repent of their sin and turn to Him and be saved. You know, whenever I read that, I think of my brother-in-law who came to know Christ a number of years ago. And how I, as a student in college, had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And he, at that time, you know, I used the four spiritual laws, and I walked through that, all of it. You know, God loves you. He sent His son to die for you. You know, that we must individually receive Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Went through the whole thing. And at the end of it, I asked him what he thought. And he just sort of critiqued my presentation of it. You know, he was a he was a salesman by trade and so he just kind of looked at it that way and kind of critiqued well this is good or that or maybe you know, it was like it was so discouraging to me in one sense. Like he just didn't get it or understand it at all. And then six months later, he's a salesman, he's on the highway, he's driving down the freeway on the Interstate ninety four, and it all came back to him. He went through that all in his mind again. The Holy Spirit used him, and he saw, if you are familiar with the four spiritual laws and the two circles, the self-directed life or the Christ-directed life, he saw all of it, and he saw his sin, and he saw how he was trying to run his own life, and how he needed to ask Jesus to forgive him and surrender his life to Christ. And there on the freeway, he did that. And he called me that night to say, Rick, I get it, I get it. And I asked Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. And it wasn't long after that that my sister made that uh, renewed commitment to Christ as well. And just the change that took place in their relationship was wonderful to see. You know, it's not a problem with the message if people don't get it. It's a matter of God's timing. And when he opens our eyes and we turn and respond to him, we are saved. And maybe, maybe you're here even today and you've heard Christians talk about the gospel before and you just don't get it. You haven't yet understood it. You'd like to. You see the joy in the lives of people you know that are believers. It's kind of how it was for me when I looked at other Christians and I heard them talk about Jesus like He was their very best friend and they had a joy and a peace and a direction in their life, you know. If you're in that situation... Would you ask God to open your eyes, to remove the veil so that you might see the light of the glory of Christ? For those of us who know, and when we think about sharing that good news with others, Paul emphasizes this in verses 5 and 6, that we focus on Christ. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and not ourselves. Because it's not about us. The gospel isn't about us. The gospel's about Christ. You know, and you look at those words of what he said, as simple as that is, about preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. The word Jesus means Savior. The Lord saves. And on the night, you know, that Jesus was born, the angels had come to Joseph before that, and they said, you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. His name would also be the reason that he came. He is the Christ, and that means Messiah, the Anointed One, this One that all the prophets wrote about in the Old Testament. All of those major prophecies about where He would be born, and where His ministry would be, and what He would do, and the kind of Savior He would be, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. All of those things that were there, written, are all fulfilled in Jesus, who is the Christ. God's Son, fully God, fully man. And finally, we preach Him as Lord, as the one who died and who rose again. And He is not just a Lord. He is the Lord of all lords, and He is the King of all kings. He is God. It is a statement of His deity as well as His personhood. And He now reigns at His Father's right hand in heaven. And one day he is going to come again just as he did this first time, only that time in the future he will come as this king. And every eye will see him. The Bible tells us some pretty significant statements about Jesus. It tells us that there is salvation in no one else. In Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we may be saved. In John 14.6, Jesus said about Himself that He is the only way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. In First Timothy 2.5, Paul said that He's the only mediator between God and man. There's only one mediator, one bridge between God and man in terms of salvation, and it is Jesus Christ. And he said in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that one day every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you can know him today. If you have never come to that point of trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can know him today if you will turn in faith to him. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, the scripture says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And every time someone responds to that message and turns to Christ, they become a new creation. It is the miracle of new birth, and we are born again. Only the power of God can dispel the darkness in our world and in our heart. And only He can open our eyes to see the glory of Christ. I invite you to turn to Him today. And for those who know Him, I just encourage you to let His light shine through us. You know, there are so many ways that we can do that by our life and by our words. At this time of, need, this time of year, there are needs all around us, and you may want to give a special gift to food the food shelf or a homeless shelter or one of the ministries that work in the inner city you might want to send a special gift or card to a missionary that you support and just encourage them you might look for ways at work or at school that you could be an encourager and reach out to someone who may be going through a hard time at this time of year you could help a neighbor you can be friendly to the tellers and cashiers and wish them a merry christmas you can leave a generous tip and and thank those who wait upon you and serve you you could look for opportunities in your own family to share christ this christmas in a special way pray forgive trust god believe in him and worship him with all of your heart give yourself fully to the work of the lord And look for those ways that you can be a light for him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, thank you for this work of grace that you have done in our life to open our eyes to see you and to understand who Christ is and our need of a Savior. And if you're here this morning and you have never made that commitment and you would like to place your trust in Jesus today, would you just simply Pray these words after me in your own heart. But Lord Jesus, I need you. And I invite you to come into my life and to be my Savior and Lord. I ask you to forgive my sins and to help me to know you better and grow in my relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth to be our Savior. We worship you, we praise you, and we give you thanks for all of these things. Amen. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who loves us and by his grace has given us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.